and I was like, oh, this is great. It basically has the potential to give me all the benefits of medical cannabis without the psychotropic effect. So I didn't have to experience that high. I mean, I was working in the city at the time, so obviously this is slightly frowned upon. So this was like perfect for me, basically. Successes in the Mind is proud to have partnered with and be supported by the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and Community, a programme that recognises, celebrates, supports, encourages and champions entrepreneurs in Great Britain. Hello and welcome to another episode of Successes in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. If you're new to the show, we'll be discussing with current owner entrepreneurs, their failures, mistakes, passion and continued persistence in the face of business adversity. Not all entrepreneurs have completed their vision just yet. Some are just starting out. I want to give you a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. What does it take to become successful, to grow a brand or to start a business? Join me to find out from those that are currently doing just that. On today's show, I'm joined by one of the founders of Ohana, a plant-based lifestyle brand started in 2018 by Jasmine Thomas. Jasmine was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis, and having since controlled her symptoms through her diet and use of CBD products, Jasmine wanted to share the benefits of her new discovery with as many people as possible. Jasmine, on all my podcasts so far, I have been hugely inspired by what people have to say. However, before we've even started speaking, I am genuinely in awe. Your website says that the first thing that went through your head was that there's no point in crying over spilt milk and that everything happens for a reason. Be honest with me, how do you go about sourcing the product, branding the product, marketing the product and selling the product whilst battling so many other elements? Jasmine, welcome to the show. First of all, thank you so much for having me today. To be honest, I've always been like that. So I'd always been a, there's no point in crying over spilt milk person. So my kind of attitude to everything is something will go really, really wrong, but it won't bug me or get me down for that long. I kind of go the opposite way to other people. So when I was diagnosed, obviously, like, you know, my mum was there with me and she was really sad. And I kind of felt like, oh, there can't be two sad people in this situation. So you didn't you didn't just sort of roll over and go, mum, I'll be fine. I'm going to get through this and I'm going to look into ways that actually is not the norm. Because you, you had something against the whole pharmaceutical mainstream drug and you really wanted to try something alternative to a certain extent. Was that a quick transition from, okay, diagnosis, I need to be more alternative and try something that's different? Or was it a slow phase? So I'm not against allopathic medicine and like traditional Western medicine. Um, I am all for it. I had meningitis when I was 17. Um, I had meningitis septicemia and I was in intensive care and it absolutely saved my life. What I was against at that time was the potential side effects and the limits of the drugs that were available on offer. So, for example, you know, they could offer me a low dose of chemotherapy and I'm like 25. I don't want to take chemotherapy and I still want to have children one day. And the other one was a drug that could potentially give me a 30% chance of developing a thyroid issue, which is then going to lead me to be on another host of drugs for the rest of my life. So I didn't really feel like any of those served my lifestyle at that time. So I've grown up a vegetarian, I've never eaten meat. So a lot of them have meat in them as well, or animal based products, which I kind of felt a bit weird about. So for those that don't know what CBD is, can you explain it to people, please? So CBD is the second most abundant cannabinoid found in either the cannabis or hemp plant. It affects our endocannabinoid system. So we have receptors that are set up to interact with the cannabinoids to produce a certain effect. 
So if you consume THC in cannabis, then they affect your brain and you get high. If you take or consume CBD, they connect with other cannabinoids and other receptors in your body. They interact and they can cause a whole host of different side effects. So whether that be analgesic or antispasmatic or anti-inflammatory. For example, do, do you do you think more and more people are becoming more and more aware of what CBD is? Because you know, when you were diagnosed in in, in 2015, it wasn't as I suppose abundant as it is now. We obviously have Melanie Goldsmith on a few weeks ago, who has diversified into the world of CBD. Is it becoming more accepted? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in 2015, I didn't even know what CBD was, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I was using medical cannabis to manage some of my symptoms. And it wasn't until like maybe 15 months later where I was at a trade show where I was trying to develop my knowledge and my curiosity into the benefits of medical cannabis where I discovered CBD. And this was in 2016. And I was like, oh, this is great. It will basically has the potential to give me all the benefits of medical cannabis without the psychotropic effects. So I didn't have to experience that high. I mean, I was working in the city at the time. So obviously, this is not very, um, this is slightly frowned upon. So this was like perfect for me, basically. But I definitely think it is becoming a lot more widely acceptable. And also like the knowledge is growing and people really, really know what it is. We're seeing the numbers of uses double in the UK every year, if not probably triple this year. Wow, that's incredible. And and back in back in 2015, okay, when you were, were diagnosed, you decided to start making, I suppose, uh, small batches of, of, of balm of, of CBD balm by hand with friends with families. But but but, but obviously, at the time, you were still uh, employed by real staffing as a, as a client relationship manager, I believe. Now, why did you maintain the, I suppose, creativity in, in as much as you were still making uh, these balms, and you were holding down a job? Why didn't you just go, don't need the job. I'm going to make these uh, infused balms and I'm going to start my own business right now. Why did you wait until 2018 to do that? Because it, I wasn't, so I was making them for myself firstly. So I wasn't really thinking of it as a business idea at that time. And I didn't really see the benefits. I knew they worked on me, but I didn't see the benefits until I shared them with um, family members and friends. So, you know, my uncle has lupus. He had a lupus rash on his face. I shared it with him and it really worked. And my niece had eczema and this really worked effectively. So it wasn't until I saw it was working for other people and then I started to get inquiries through other friends and family that I thought about turning it into a business. So from the moment that I decided that I was going to go into the CBD industry, I wanted to make sure that it was going to be an area that I was absolutely very passionate about and that I would love getting up and working in every single day. And what I thought was really important and an important message that I wanted to be able to spread. And I kind of thought, you know, you have these really kind of like impactful moments in your life one of them being that I was diagnosed with MS. And I knew that going forward, whatever I was going to do, I wanted it to be a true reflection of my most authentic self and a message that was going to leave nothing but positivity. And I, I found that through topicals. A lot of businesses, they say they go under within the first three years. You're so nearly at that three-year point. <laughs> have, have you had any experience in running a business or has this just been organic, excuse the pun, but organic growth? So I think my old job set me up well to be able to learn and absorb this kind of information in the fact that as a client relationship manager, to an extent, I owned my client. I owned my own business. I had to create a business plan and think of a formula which was going to grow my client base. So I did have that experience. However, I, I think I went into it quite ignorantly and quite naively. 
because over the last two years, I've just learned so much that I just didn't even know existed. And it has most definitely been a very, very organic growth period and learning curve for me. What have you learned over the last two years that you didn't know um, 24 months ago? So I didn't know anything about trademarking. I didn't know how expensive lawyers were. I didn't know what SEIS, EIS investment was. I didn't know anything about term sheets or deed of endearments or anything about raising capital. I didn't know the critical time path of creating a skincare product. I didn't know the regulations around the skincare products. I didn't know anything about marketing. Um, I didn't know. I literally did not know anything. But one thing you did know about one thing you didn't know about was was recruitment in real staffing and being a, a client relationship manager at the time. But you've learned you've learned a lot in the last two years, specifically and interestingly, the SEIS and the EIS and the raising of, of capital. Does that mean that you've gone through a, a fund? Yeah, so we did a small friends and family round, which actually was zero friends and family and consisted of only angel investors that I kind of met along the way. Amazing. How much did you uh, raise? We did 170, 170k. 170,000. And what was that valuation? Did you learn that valuation? Did you speak to an accountant about that? How did you come to the uh, decision that you need 170,000 to be able to propel your business? So one of the things I learned from my old job was I was just very good at hiring the right people. So I hired a new product development specialist who basically outlined the critical time path for me and how much everything would cost. And then from then I knew how much I was going to go and have to raise to get me to launch and beyond. Interesting. That's incredible that you managed to that you managed to do that. How quickly did you manage to do that? We did the first tranche in uh, from September to December, so that's about four months, and then we did the second tranche. Actually, we didn't really go out to raise it. People who had just seen me speaking then came back to me at a later date. That's incredible. So you, you raised the 170,000, you've given away 12% of your business. I'm assuming you maintain um, the remaining uh, majority. What did you do with the money? And, and how did you know what the right thing to do with the money was? Do you know, what? it was mainly just down. So like, oh, um, Nadia, my um, NPD has been so critical in this growth, just because she had really good experience growing and expanding um, products. So she had worked with the likes of Charlotte Tilbury, the Sanctuary Spa, Cowshed. She brought all these great products to market. And the the reason why I worked with an NPD and the reason why we outsourced to a manufacturer and worked with formulation scientists is that the CBD cosmetic space is such an explosive, explosive nascent market. People were really rushing to market without taking into consideration the formulations, so really looking at the delivery mechanisms, the regulations of actually like getting a skincare product out, so making sure it's absolutely safe and regulated in the right way. And yeah, and just making sure everything was done really properly. Um, there was a lot of small brands launching that were kind of like getting product to market, but there would be some either they would, you know, it'd be very, very basic formulations. There would be homemade products. You know, they might not necessarily, their packaging might not reflect that they're being very compliant. And I wanted to make sure that we were being, we were operating at the top level that we could in this space. So you alluded earlier on to NPD. What, what, what for those that people are, sorry, for those that don't know, what, what is NPD? What is an NPD? 
NPD is a new product development specialist. So she was someone basically who just guided me through the process because I hadn't been there before. We would go through different manufacturers and she, I would say, okay, these are the requirements that I want from a manufacturer. And she would go out and find it. Um, she had all the relationships with the packaging people. She would know that what ins- good insurers to go to and what exactly that we needed to be compliant, basically. And that was what was the most important thing to me i wanted us to make sure that we were operating at the highest level of regulation and compliance so so you say you don't know much or didn't know much back then but you have realized that you needed an npd you realized that you needed one hundred and seventy thousand. how did you realize this or were you told by people in your circle people around you that you need to go and raise one hundred and seventy thousand, and you need to speak to this person no i very much worked it out on my own my odd jobs at client relationship manager so it was um, business development and developing relationships. So they were like one of the key skills that I had beforehand and had been developing since I started the job seven years ago before I left. So I had been circulating and very curious about the CBD industry since 2015. So really I had been gathering knowledge at different trade shows, at different conferences, at different events, speaking to different people. So yeah, I kind of just gathered the information as I went really. So many businesses, having having looked into your brand and what your ethos is, you're so transparent, you're so opaque in, in as much as what you do, what you offer, uh, and, and what goes into your products, which is very, very little because it's so organic. But there's big brands out there, and I won't name them, but they offer a, a certain beauty product to a certain extent, and actually they aren't transparent. How important is it to you and to people moving forwards that brands become more transparent in what they're putting into their product? I think it is something that the consumer demands all the time. In the UK, we're quite lucky because we have a really big list of ingredients that are already banned. Whereas in America, they only have like 11 ingredients that are banned from cosmetics. So it is really, really important over there for skincare companies to be very transparent very open but here it is also growing in popularity and it is growing in importance and I think most people don't actually look at personal hygiene and skincare products until they have a baby but you normally find people will kind of use like any old product and then when they have a kid they're like actually I want to use products that are free from parabens and SLS and sulfates and actually I want it to be organic and I will because I don't want to cause irritation to my child's skin And then they're like, actually, this range also has an adult range and it's going to be a lot better than the potential harmful ingredients that I'm using at the moment. It's, it's, it's so true. And I suppose at the moment with the current pandemic, people are more aware of cleanliness, of personal hygiene than they've ever been before. Have you seen a change in demand for your products over this period or has it been fairly stable? So interestingly enough, so what we did is we did launch in 2018 and we were selling product then, which was homemade and was all very like okay as a product. But then when we did our raise and we went out to manufacturers, we actually put our sales on pause. So we relaunched again in June this year. So we have only been operating since June 22nd this year with actual sales. And that, and that is bang in the middle of when this pandemic happened. 
bang in the middle. I thought that was a great time to launch a business. Why, why not? I mean, I started my business <laughs> in a recession. Why wouldn't you start it in the middle of a pandemic? It sounds, it sounds ideal. And and as you mentioned going to your manufacturer. Obviously, when you started, you you made it with friends, you made it with family, you made it in your kitchen. There must be a a vast amount of regulation around this product, and, and b how the hell do you go out and find a manufacturer that will specialize in in CBD? I had seen products that they were developing already and it just so worked out that my NPD had a relationship with them. So it's actually quite hard. So a manufacturer doesn't just automatically take you on. They have to really buy into your story, what you're doing. And there was a lot of like shared values that we had as well. We really had to sell ourselves basically to the manufacturer, but it was because they had just started looking into CBD as an ingredient. But what they also did and what I liked about them is they they delved deeper. So they bought special pieces of equipment to measure the exact amount of CBD in each end product. And they looked at the different carrier ingredients and encapsulation of the ingredients to make sure that these are actually being absorbed into the skin to the point where the um, receptors are and that CBD is actually going to be absorbed. So Jazz, you've got three products on your website, all the option to buy um, all three, which is obviously a package buy from a certain point of view. Now, talk to me about how you design these products. Who kind of came up with the idea that you need to have this, this and this? Was it you or was it your MPD or was it people in your circle? So it was basically kind of like the feedback that we had from our existing customers, from the products that I was kind of like making and selling myself and just through doing market research with people. And then also very selfishly, these are products that I'm going to want to use every single day. And I really thought about what I wanted. The CBD balm was like the staple product. So this is really where it came from. And then looking at the daily defense serum, you know, we went out and did some market research and asked what people really wanted. Um, the majority of people that came back lived in London and they were like, you know, we want something that's going to protect our skin from pollution. Hence why we um, made the daily defense serum and made that very specific to protecting skin from pollution. And the night repair oil, which has Bakucha oil in it, which is kind of seen as a natural alternative to retinol, which is that's a bit of a debated point and a topic for a different time but that has properties of being anti-aging so it was really looking at what the most in-demand skincare needs are at that time so what does the next say six to twelve months hold for ohana in as much as product i suppose so we're definitely expanding the range there are some products that we will come out with next year but i mean for any business at the moment i think the next nine to 12 months really holds that you're just going to keep afloat basically the focus is around building our brand and building our community from a brand and a community standpoint how do you how do you go about marketing you've got i think it's three and a bit thousand followers on on instagram but how do you shout about your brand is it very much trade shows and events or have you got other things in place which will become more apparent over the next year so with cbd in the cbd industry it has to be very organic you are not allowed to do paid posts on social media. That's no paid post on Instagram, on Facebook, anything like that, which are really traditional routes of marketing. 
So for us, we have to be very strategic and thoughtful about it. So a lot of it comes from my personal profile with just speaking and doing a lot of public speaking events, just to kind of like shout about Ohana and make sure people know about it and what we do. Another route is traditional PR as well, just because you can still get in print. You can still do digital marketing through that way. And then also just around building a community. For me, again, it comes back to my personal journey and story. And when I was first diagnosed, there wasn't really anywhere that I felt that I could go to with a community of people that would potentially be going through the same thing as me or potentially the same products as me. Word of mouth is the number one seller for skincare as well. Jazz, have you always been an entrepreneur or was it something you accidentally fell into? Definitely accidental. (laughs) I have actually thought about this and I now realise that both of my parents growing up did not have traditional jobs. So they were both quite self-employed. They were both very entrepreneurial. My dad was a jeweler. But yeah, and then my mum kind of like different did different odd jobs as well. But they both they both didn't have a full-time job where they were working for someone else. So I think kind of on reflection, I've kind of thought about their entrepreneurial journeys and how that has probably impacted me with having faith that you don't necessarily need a full-time job to be able to support yourself. And you're, you're very much the face of your brand, Jazz. I mean, how important has that been in the growth of your brand? Obviously, speaking at these events has been key, but your story is so real and people can relate to it and are really inspired by it. Do you think that's what's driven it forwards? If I just wanted to go into the CBD world as an investor and start it myself, it wouldn't have the same effect, would it? No, and I think that's what people are actually starting to realise now as well. So, That is basically why I think when people hear me speaking about it and they see my passion, that is what led them to uh, having faith and investing in me as a first time founder. And also knowing that we will cut through the noise with a very authentic story, which is relatable and if not relatable, people can take something from it. What do you want to do with the business? Do you want to scale it up? Have you struggled scaling it up? Are you happy with the size? What's the vision? So we will definitely scale. The vision is I'm completely focused on the UK at the moment. Our secondary market to focus on is Germany as well and Europe. So I want to move markets to be very focused in specific areas. And then scaling is basically like what we want to achieve without looking at the the US market for quite some time, I think, because that's quite a saturated market. And I don't feel like that's going to make a difference whether we go in there now or or in two or three years. How quickly uh, do you think the legalization of of marijuana will be? Because obviously there's talk, there's been talk for a long time and there's a lot of people, both high profile and indeed the general public that are saying we absolutely need to legalize this. Do you think we're at that? tipping point whereby it is about to become fully legal and okay or do you think there's still a long way to go sadly definitely not i I think there's still a really long way to go i would say maybe within the next or hopefully within the next five to ten years but i don't see it happening before then and in the next five to ten years will you still have ohana yes What over the last two years or so have been your key standout mistakes that you've made that you've actually learned from that aren't a regret, that are actually something that you've grown off the back of? So my biggest mistake, well, not my biggest, but one of the biggest was I just trusted 
people when they said like like investors if they were going to invest I remember my first potential investor we built up a really like emotional connection because they had just been diagnosed with MS and you know I was helping them through that process they had promised me investment like five on like five different occasions and by the time it came to signing the term sheet they pulled out really and I was like oh crap I literally just like (laughs) I've literally just relied on this this money and that never came through so that was like my biggest learning curve and I just think everybody should be told that at the beginning of their fundraise you can never rely on money until it's in your bank but your naivety to a certain extent and it's and it's similar to so many people that I that I speak to that level of naivety has actually been what's kind of allowed them to take these risks because actually at that point in their life it didn't seem like a risk they had nothing to measure it against they just went yeah okay it must be the right thing to do so I'll I'll just do it surely that's also a positive that you were so naive and that you've you've grown and developed from that that has been my biggest strength one of my biggest strengths to be honest because people are often like oh uh, were you ready to quit your job or you know like and I was like god no I just went for it because I just naively knew it would work out and I just had like you know unwavering faith that somehow it would work out and I didn't know how that would happen but I knew it would so my naivety definitely has played in very well because it has allowed me to just go for things and not kind of like wait around or wait for the perfect timing and wait for this to happen and it's like you know I'm just going to go and do it now and I think that has definitely been a strength that has played into this kind of like this this whole journey that I've been to and and why Ohana why have you named the brand Ohana because I come from a 40 person strong family and we are all incredibly incredibly close and it is the most female dominated inspiring family that i'm just so grateful to be a part of and ohana means family oh is it, it means family in, in what language in hawaiian in hawaiian oh my that's incredible i didn't know that that's fantastic so you, you've named it ohana that's brilliant with regards to i suppose the brand who came up with the brand was it yourself that came up with the visuals or did you outsource that to an agency because that in itself is quite a feat that is and that is probably one of my weaknesses if i'm being completely honest um and i think that's probably along with my ignorance has been one of my which has really helped me through this journey is really being able to identify and admit and very open and honest about my weaknesses and knowing that I cannot do it all myself so the visuals we did outsource and we did work collaboratively I knew what kind of tones and I would pick the Pantone colors and the shapes out and the story behind what the visuals were going to represent, but I did outsource those to a professional because, of course, I'm not very good at Photoshop or anything like that. What, what, what does your what does your structure look like though? You must have people around you that are better than you at certain things, and uh, and you've obviously outsourced it to an agency. But what does your company structure from a staffing standpoint look like? From a staffing standpoint, so it's me. We have our um, new product development specialist Nadia, who's on a contract basis. Our finance. Um, person is on a contract basis as well so for accounting and stuff I just use an online accountant and then if we're doing like financial forecasting and um, cash flow planning I have a separate finance person once a month who I go through with that and I then have Jessica Steinberg who's been with me since the beginning who's our head of community she's also studying a PhD on cannabis at Oxford University and we actually 
met because we were the only two women in a cannabis co-working space in London and we were like okay let's talk to each other because we're going to be friends and from there we set up the Entourage Network which is a community platform to engage and empower women into the legal cannabis industry. Blimey that's incredible how can we find out more about that? So it is at www.ourentouragenetwork.com Right. Okay. And what does that entail? Is that how you got involved in speaking? Is that how you got involved in talking at events? Or was it very much around your your brand? Or was it around your sort of, I suppose, extracurricular activities to a certain extent? It was, for me, there were several parts to it. Um, it was just about making sure in every industry that I've ever worked in, empowering women and working with women have always been a passion of mine. And through the cannabis industry, what we saw in America, two years pre-legalization, there was 36% women in C-suite level positions and above. In the year of 2017, with legalization happening, that dropped to maybe 23%. Two years post-legalization, that dropped down to 12%. So as we then were looking at the UK as a nascent market, what I wanted to make sure that we didn't have that dip there. We have a multi-billion dollar industry that has no prehistoric settings to be male dominated and a fantastic opportunity for female entrepreneurs to have autonomy, financial autonomy, uh, creative autonomy, and to build these really amazing kind of like entrepreneurial journeys for themselves. And it was just both a passion project of mine and Jessica's to make sure that we were a part of this and we facilitated this and these connections and networking for women. That, yeah, in, incredible. I mean, words can't sum up how inspiring I think this this specific podcast has been genuinely. Jazz, with regards to advice for people that are wanting to start a, a product-based business, having been there and done that, what would the one piece of advice be? The one piece of advice would be to know your market inside out i mean jazz if people want to find if people want to find your your products um, if they want to hear you speak where can they go to to learn more about you so they the best place for them to go is to our website which is ohana-cbd.com and they can also follow us on instagram at ohana-cbd jazz thank you so much for joining me on this podcast it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it To find out more about Jasmine's brand Ohana, head over to ohana-cbd.com where you can check out her product lines and read for yourself her truly inspiring story. Join me next week when we'll be discussing more about failures, mistakes, passion and persistence with another inspiring owner-entrepreneur who is currently in business. Thanks once again for listening. Take care. For those of you that are on Facebook, and I'm sure the majority of you are, head over to our newly launched Facebook page at Success Is In The Mind Pod, where you can keep up to date with guests coming up, guests gone by, as well as photos and images from people who have enjoyed the Bruce beer, which we send out after every interview. Let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this program, then please show your support by subscribing via Apple Podcasts and all other major podcast streaming services. Why not share it with at least three friends? And of course, make sure you tune in next week. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Contact me via Twitter at OliverBruce underscore biz or via LinkedIn at OliverBruceOnline. Thank you.